Well, good morning, Cypress Bible Church. I hope you are doing well. My name is Josh Stewart. Glad to be here and leading with you today. We wanted to start off with a little bit of a warning this morning, okay? We're about to have a whole lot of fun, and sometimes we kind of need to warm ourselves up a little bit to have some fun as we're worshiping Jesus. So can I invite you to stand together? You may have never done this in church before, but we've got worship muscles, and we need to stretch those worship muscles out. But if you haven't a chance to wake up, would you just kind of stretch your body a little bit? I know you're like, this is so weird, but it's so good for you. You know, worship is a full body activity. And so as we begin this first song here in just a moment, um, you're gonna need to be able to clap together. I know that can be a challenge sometimes too. I, I have a hard time with rhythm sometimes myself, but, and we're gonna have a good time. We're celebrating the victory that we have in Jesus. So could you also do this? Maybe bump the person next to you and say, are you ready? All right, let's give this a try. Victory in Jesus, we're gonna need your help on this. Get your hands together. His precious blood's atoning And I repented of my sins And won the victory Sing it out! Oh, victory in Jesus My Savior forever He saw 
healing. I heard about His healing, of His cleansing power revealing. How He made the lame to walk again, and caused the blind to see. And then I cried to Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. My Savior forever He sought me and bought me With His redeeming love He loved me ere I knew Him And all my love is to Him He plunged me to victory Beneath the cleansing blood Put your hands together again Hey, we have been delivered from sin and death and we've been given the victory in Christ and he is above all and one day church family Jesus is coming back to get us and we're going to celebrate that in heaven forever so let's sing about that right now let's get out with Alicia Welcome them to worship today. You can be seated as we continue. I want to introduce some friends of mine that have come to partner with us today. We have a wonderful little horn section over here, Dan, Damon, and Rush. And we just thought, if we're going to have some victory in Jesus, then we need, a, we need a trumpet at least, you know, to kind of ring in the victory. Uh, but we're so grateful to have them here and so glad that you are here. Uh, Church Family Cypress Bible has been through an incredible six weeks 
of prayer, an emphasis on prayer and what the Lord is going to do in this church body. And it was culminated this past Wednesday night by a special time of uh, together we celebrate. And we came together in this room and we worshiped the Lord. We prayed again and sought the Lord for the, the days ahead, praying that God would bless our families, that he would work on our hearts and that he would be a part of this church and allowing us to be unified together and also serving the Lord abroad. And so it was a really wonderful opportunity and I hope that you had a chance to come. But if you haven't, if you did not get a chance to come, that's okay because the same spirit that was there on Wednesday night is here in this room today. The same Jesus that we sang about then is the Jesus that we believe in now and it's the Jesus that can change our lives day after day after day, and it's what we need to rely and depend on. It's the victory that we sing about. It's the joy, it's the hope that we have in Christ. Last week, we sang a song called My Jesus, and we just kind of came out and sang it. This week, I want to slow down a little bit and give you that chorus. I want you to grab onto that with us and learn it together. So would you stand together with us, and we want to sing this song, I want to teach you. This is kind of like teaching learning mode, because we want you to really participate and know what your Jesus can do for you. Let's sing this out. He makes a way where there ain't no way, rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can't say. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let my Jesus change your life. All right, let's learn this song together. Sing it out with Ella. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all that's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing Let me tell you about my Jesus He makes a way where there ain't no way Rises up from an empty grave Ain't no sinner that he can't save Let me tell you about my Jesus His love is strong and His grace is free And the good news is I know that He Let my Jesus change your 
Calvary Paid the price for all my guilty Who could care that much about me Let me tell you about my Jesus Oh He makes a way where there ain't no way Rises up from an empty grave Ain't no sinner that he can't save Let me tell you about my Jesus His love is strong and His grace is free And the good news is I know that He Still for you what He's done for me Let me tell you about my Jesus Let my Jesus change your life Hallelujah 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 Amen Amen Let's celebrate the change that Jesus has made in us. Sing this out. You are good. You are good. You are good. When there's nothing good in me. You are love. You are love. On display for all to see. You are light. You are light. The darkness closes in You are hope, you are hope You have covered all my sins You are peace, you are peace When my fear is crippling You are true, you are true Even in my wandering You are joy, you are joy you're the reason that I sing You are life, you are life And you dead has lost its Sing, I'm running And oh, I'm running to your arms I'm running to your arms The riches of your love Will always be enough Nothing compares to your embrace, light of the world forever. You are more, you are more, you are more than my words will ever say. You are Lord, you are Lord, all creation will proclaim. You are here, you are here. Your presence I may hold You are God, you are God Of all else I'm letting go Oh, 
sing it out. No other name, Jesus, Jesus, my heart, my heart will sing. No other name, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Jesus, my heart will sing. No other name, Jesus, Jesus. name of Jesus. And the scripture also says that what we sang about in the very first song, one day he's coming back to get us. And we're going to get to have a taste of what heaven is like. And it won't just be from afar. It'll be right there in the room. And Revelation describes these pictures of elders and myriads upon myriads, which is just a lot, of angels that are worshiping the thro- before the throne endlessly singing holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come and it's always going on and we have moments this is our moment that we get to gather together and have a taste of what it's going to be like in heaven and for all those who are like is it going to be singing the whole time i don't think so i think we're going to be completely enthralled with jesus that there's nothing else that's going to be important And we can sing to him, and we can look at him, and we can think on all the things that he has done for us, the gratitude we have in our hearts for a Savior that died and took our sin and our debt and put it on his shoulders, and then he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death forever so that we could have abundant, everlasting life in him, and that one day when he comes to get us, we celebrate that in heaven. That's going to be the main focus of heaven. And however Jesus wants us to celebrate that, we're going to celebrate the king in that way. Amen? And so now as we continue in worship, I want to sing this song called Revelation Song. And we're singing about the same words, the same text that they're singing around the throne. Let's worship.
And I will 
we join with all creation. We join with those even in heaven right now. And we say, holy, holy, holy to the Lord who is worthy, the only one who's worthy to receive the highest praise. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for how you have loved us. It's in your powerful and strong and majestic name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. When you make a meal, you would hope that that meal, as you combine and prepare ingredients, looks good, that it tastes good, or at the very least is good for you. Ideally, it can be all three of those things. One gift that God has given me is to, not to cook, is to interpret and organize biblical material in a way that helps you understand and apply it as the people of God. And it might look good, might taste good, but if it's not good for you, then it has no value. In other words, if it's not something God has said by his spirit, then it's a failure. Now this series in Ecclesiastes has been a challenge for me because this book is a bit of a puzzle, Ecclesiastes itself, and uh, scholars disagree on certain aspects of interpretation here, and, and my prayer is that I don't make it say something it doesn't say. That whether it looks good or tastes good isn't important. As it, is, is it good? Is this the truth of God for his people today? And that's uh, especially been true, difficult this last week and this week as we've dealt with multiple chapters and the trust that uh, God will use this word in your life as he does in mine. Well, the overall emphasis of Ecclesiastes is finding meaning in life, in the meaninglessness of life. What is the significance of it? And Solomon, who I believe wrote this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, refers to himself as the teacher, and he used his great wealth, and he used his power as king over Jerusalem to go down all these different avenues to find significance and meaning in life. And, and he tried things like money and entertainment and success and art and collections and construction and wine, women and song and more. And he found that all of these were dead ends in terms of finding ultimate meaning in life, that apart from God, life on this planet is just a vanishing vapor. And so we finish our series this morning through this book with the last three chapters of Ecclesiastes, where he calls it the end of the matter, Solomon does. So we're going to deal with this ending and and, uh, summarize, I think, all of the avenues that he went down and uh, how that applies to our lives today. I actually want to divide these three chapters into two different headings. And the first head, they're both reasons for things. The first heading is 11 reasons to live within God's boundaries. And so we're going to deal with the, the first two chapters of chapter 10 and 11 and find 11 reasons to live within the boundaries that God has created. I put railroad tracks here as I was uh, reminded of my third year of Greek was taught by Dr. Williams. And he used to use all the time a phrase 
that was basically, this is like a locomotive in a plowed field. Or this is like a freight train in a plowed field. It was really the only saying he had. We didn't always know what he meant by it. But the idea is that, yes, a freight train can have great power and momentum and the engine can be revving, but if it goes off the tracks into a field, it's going nowhere. All the the sound and the noise and the fury aren't going to progress in any way. And so I see that being played out here, that there, uh, there are the boundaries that God has created, and Solomon in his wisdom says, here are some reasons why we must live within those boundaries and all that we do in life. So I'm going to go through these 11 reasons, some shorter, uh, some other longer than others, but here they go. Number one, humans make poor decisions. This is why you should live within God's boundaries. Verse one, dead flies will cause even a bottle of perfume to stink Yes, an ounce of foolishness can outweigh a pound of wisdom and honor. The hearts of the wise lead them to do right, and the hearts of the foolish lead them to do evil. You can identify fools just by the way they walk down the street. That's just a a summarization of what uh, the author has been telling us throughout this. He's been contrasting, the teacher's been contrasting human thinking and wisdom with the wisdom of God. In fact, he says wisdom comes from God. That's chapter 2, verse 26. Real wisdom is God's wisdom. Humans have their own way of thinking, and it's not right. Human wisdom is, in fact, foolishness, according to Scripture. So apart from God, your default program and mine is foolishness. Apart from God, that's that's your default. That's what you're going to go to. In your humanness, what looks right is actually wrong, and what seems sensible is actually silly. That's why 1 Corinthians 3.18 says that the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And, And even a little bit of foolish thinking, the teacher says. Even one poor decision can spoil so much more than that, can outweigh the good things. And so to, to play this out as wisdom literature does in Proverbs 14, that there is a way that appears to be right to, to men, to humans, but in the end it leads to death. And this is most true when it comes to salvation itself. The world thinks that the message of the cross is foolishness. It's this idea that the Son of God came into this world due to the love of the Father and took on human flesh. The eternal Son of God took on human form and lived like us yet without sin. And he went to the cross bearing the sin of the world, died a sacrificial death, bearing our sin, paying the penalty of sin, and was raised to life for our justification. That's foolishness. That's ridiculous to the world. But it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. It's God's wisdom. And so, in general, human beings choose poorly. Without God's revelation, without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, our reasoning leads to destruction. So that's the first reason to live according to God's boundaries within his guidelines is because we make poor choices, poor decisions. The second one is because effort doesn't guarantee success. We need to live within God's boundaries because our efforts don't guarantee success. Verse 8. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a, a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever carries quarry stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before its charm, there is no profit for the charmer. Now what's going on here? You need to take all of these proverbs together, and it's telling us that life is unpredictable. 
It's unpredictable. Accidents happen. Even while you're just going about your daily job, even while you're just doing common, ordinary things, living productively, misfortune can occur anyway. So your construction project may collapse on you. In the ordinary events of life, the unexpected happens. Even if you're working hard, a lack of wisdom can keep you from being productive. Remember, wisdom comes from God. So you swing the axe harder and harder and harder, but the dull blade impedes your progress. Your work ethic doesn't secure you anything, doesn't guarantee anything. So live within God's guidelines and trust him. Third reason to live in God's boundaries is because talk matters. Matters what you say. Verse 12, words from a wise man's mouth are gracious, but a fool is consumed by his own lips. At the beginning, his words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness. And the fool multiplies words. So this is a constant theme in proverbial wisdom that we are, when we're speaking in our humanness, we use a lot of words, we say foolish things, and we need God's wisdom to guide and guard our mouth. Too many words take you down. If you are a loquacious person, you need to watch yourself. Uh, There is a madness in those words that leads us to value what we shouldn't value and and, uh, despise what's truly valuable. And so while people in our world spew vile comments on social media and anonymously harass via internet trolls and rant on Facebook and we have news outlets and politicians and community leaders twisting the truth and there's no end to commentary and opinion, Christians have boundaries. And sadly, in our world today, it seems like Christians are not living within those boundaries as they use social media, as they deal with life. There are boundaries. The Holy Spirit lives in you if you're a follower of Jesus. He's empowering you to control your mouth. And no longer is your aim to tear people apart, but it's to build them up. No longer do you use words to crush. You have the skill to heal. You are God's influencer. You are God's peacemaker. And to us, the scriptures say, Colossians 4, 6, let your conversation be always full of grace. And so the life of wisdom is one where God manages my mouth. That's living within his boundaries. Talk matters. Number four. Government is undependable. Isn't this fun? We're having all kinds of different subjects here. He tackles everything. It's undependable. Verse 16. Woe to you. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your son is the king of the nobility, when your king is the son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. So you just parse this a little bit. You realize it's saying rulers can be good or bad. They, they can end somewhere in between. They can be immature partiers or they can be responsible leaders. But all authority has been put into place by God and for his purposes. And Romans 13 makes that clear. It says that God has established every single ruler and authority in existence. Now, Christians like to trot that out during certain administrations and not others. But it doesn't parse it that way. It's true at all times for all administrations. God is in charge. God is sovereign. So submit to authorities over you, Romans 13 says, and don't rebel. Uh, the, The point is that you can't entrust your life to those inconsistent authorities. You must live within God's boundaries and how that is done. 1 Peter 2.17 says, honor the king but fear God. 
Fear God. So there, there's, the, there's the boundary in which to live. You honor the king unless it interferes with your fearing of God. Government's undependable. Number five, laziness loses. Verse 18, a shiftless man lives in a tumble-down shack. A lazy woman ends up with a leaky roof. Well, godly wisdom promotes hard work and good stewardship. No, hard work does not guarantee success. doesn't guarantee it, but it is necessary. Hard work, good stewardship, necessary. Biblical principle throughout Old and New Testament. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, If a man will not work, he should not eat. Now, that doesn't take into account those who are disabled and, and otherwise. But this is about you. You are an able-bodied person. You need to work. Laziness loses. Number six, enjoyment is possible. Verse 19. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Wow. Here's a repeated theme throughout Ecclesiastes. I've touched on it numerous times. We're going to hit it again before we're done today. The, the theme is that life can be pleasurable when it's seen as coming from the hand of a good God. When you see the blessings in your life, the things in your life coming from God, God is the source that... Uh, Eating and drinking will not bring you ultimate meaning. They will not, but they can bring joy. That's Ecclesiastes 2, verse 25. God can bring joy in that. And the reason money is mentioned is because it's necessary to buy the food and the wine and other enjoyments. Now, without God's boundaries, food and wine can be used as ends in themselves, and it's going to fail. Food and wine can be used to dull the pain, and it's going to fail. But within God's boundaries, you see these as pleasurable gifts from God's hand, and therefore enjoyment is possible for the believer who's in God. Number seven, slander destroys. Verse 20, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. And this is before Alexa, right? And this is before that. So watch what you say. God's boundary is respect authority. Titus 3 warns those who follow Jesus not to slander anyone, but especially not rulers. Think about that. Disparaging, defaming, condemning is wrong in all cases, but it's especially dangerous when that person has political power or economic power, and word will get back to them, and it will cost you. It will cost you. Slander destroys. Number eight, generosity wins. Now we're in chapter 11. Verse one, cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Don't hoard your goods, spread them around, be a blessing to others. This could be your last night. All right, so the idea of somebody taking perfectly good bread and throwing it in the water, what sense does that make? And then if it comes back to you, why do you want soggy bread? What is going on here? Well, the meaning is to be willing to take a chance. It's a metaphor. Uh, Willing to take a chance to give to others, to cast away what you have to be open-handed. And so when you see a need that you can meet, be as generous as you can be. Better to give some help than no help at all. And I've practiced this numerous times, probably less than I should have. But just a couple of weeks. As a pastor, I get people coming to me for money and help all the time. 
And so a week or two ago, I had somebody come and asking for a specific amount of money. I did not believe a single word that they said. Not a single word. I, I mean, I've known people for, uh, I can read people pretty well. Didn't believe it. But I decided to give that guy who was asking about a, a fourth, I think it was, of what he asked for. And uh, he was very unhappy with that. Uh, but, but I felt, even though he's lying to me, I'm going to give him better a little bit of something than nothing at all. That, that's proverbial wisdom here. Be generous. The command in 1 Timothy 6 to believers is to do good, be generous, and be willing to share. That's how you live within God's boundaries. Generosity wins. Number nine, predictions fail. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls there, it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Well, you need to appreciate all that's going on here. When you, when you, the, the rain clouds cover the sky, eventually they will downpour somewhere. Uh, you've experienced this too. I see those rain clouds here at the church in my office and five miles away. Uh, it's, it's torrentially raining at my house, but not here. And it never does. So you can't always tell exactly precisely when or exactly where or how much for how long. And a tree might fall this way, it might fall that way, but it's going to stay where it falls. And, and if all you ever do is track the wind, then you're never going to get around to planting. You can say, well, the wind is not blowing the right way, or it's going to shift soon. If you, all, that's all you think about. If you are a weather watcher to an extreme, as I know some people are, you're never going to get around to doing what you need to do, is the wisdom here. If you're always worried about the rain, you're never going to get around to harvesting. Things happen in the natural world, but our estimations about when and where are uncertain. They're inaccurate. And so no matter how much we observe or learn or foresee, there will be error in that. So you need to live within God's boundaries. Number nine, ten rather. God controls outcomes. Verse five. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, whether both will do equally well. So God's at work in our world, but it's beyond us to know how and why he's doing it. The wind blows, the baby grows, God's the maker of it all. That's the first verse. The wind blows, the baby grows, God's the maker of it all. And since we don't know what the end result will be of anything that we do, you give yourself to whatever is at hand, whatever opportunity God puts in front of you. Make the most of every opportunity, the New Testament tells us. You don't know what the Lord will bless. Give your best to everything he puts in front of you. Whatever that is, do your best. You are in charge of outcomes. Only the Lord is. Try to live my life that way. Do your best at all times. And that certainly applies to spreading the gospel. You don't know the outcome of that gospel message. You might say, well, that person will never listen or this one. But no, you don't know the outcome. It's God that deals with the outcomes. You don't know that about investing your money or starting a business or serving in ministry or helping others. God's in charge of outcomes. You do your best with what he puts in front of you. And number 11, God holds you accountable. He holds you accountable. You who are young, verse 9, make the most of your youth relish your youthful vigor. Follow the impulses of your heart. If something looks good to you, pursue it. But know also that not just anything goes. You have to answer to God for every bit of it. So this constant theme of enjoying life is repeated, but so is the need to live within God's guidelines. Everything God created is good. 
And yet from the beginning, humans have misperceived who God is and failed to appreciate the true freedom that worship brings as we revere and obey him. So, so I would sum up life in this way, reverence and revel, reverence and revel, reverence God and revel in the life he made. That, that's a great model for your life right there, reverence and revel. It's important that we enjoy what God has given us to enjoy in this fleeting life. And the reminder and the reality of death should spur us on to live life well because death breaks in on us all too soon. And the teacher advises the young to make the most of their youth while they still have the strength and energy to do so. He's not advocating hedonism. He's advocating a life lived joyfully in the world that God has made and governs. So pursue joy within the God-given boundaries of goodness and virtue. Rihanna, the singer, in an interview once talked about why she doesn't have random hookups. She said, uh, I'm human, I'm a woman, I want to have sex, but what am I going to do? Just find the first random cute dude I think is going to be a great ride for the night, and then tomorrow I wake up feeling empty and hollow. There's some understanding of boundary and guideline there. That, That doesn't bring meaning to life. Pursue the joys of life while you can, but within God's boundaries. Otherwise, it's only emptiness. So that's chapters 10 and 11. Let's move on to chapter 12 where, well, those are the, 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 got 12 numbers up there. I don't know how that happened. I only gave you 11. Now, God's in charge of outcomes. Number six is missing. Good call. It's just renumbered automatically. So 11 or 12 reasons to live within God's boundaries. So three reasons to embrace your creator now. This is chapter 12. So he's already brought up the idea of, like, when you're young, you need to, you need to do this. Don't waste your time. And now, now he tells us, here's three reasons to embrace your creator now. Certainly if you're young and certainly before it's too late. Well, Why? Here are the three reasons. First of all, because you're wearing out. Is that news to you? You are wearing out. Chapter 12, verse 1. Honor and enjoy your creator while you're still young, before the years take their toll and your vigor wanes, before your vision dims and the world blurs and the winter years keep you close to the fire. In old age, your body no longer serves you so well. Muscles slacken, grip weakens, joints stiffen. The shades are pulled down on the world. You can't come and go at will. Things grind to a halt. The hum of the household fades away. You're wakened now by bird song. Hikes to the mountains are a thing of the past. Even a stroll down the road has its terrors. Your hair turns apple blossom white adorning a fragile and impotent matchstick body. All true. All true. You know, I, I, I know exactly the moment that I first realized that my strength was diminishing. Because I've always been a strong guy. guy that can, I can lift as much as anybody else. I was on a work trip with, with the church and, and, and it, was the, it was the week that I turned 40 years old. And at the end of that week, I was supposed to be pounding a, a nail this way up over my head. And I couldn't get it done. Couldn't get it done. It's like something must be wrong with me. Yeah, you're 40 now. And it hasn't, I've, I've not gotten stronger in the last two years. I've not gotten stronger now that I'm 42. And I stopped playing basketball at some point in my 40s because my, 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 my vertical leap, which was pretty impressive, is now a horizontal lurch, and I couldn't go anywhere. It's like it, getting old. It, it's there. It's real. 
Halle Berry, the actress, said, beauty, let me tell you something. Being thought of as a beautiful woman has spared me nothing in life. No heartache, no trouble. Love has been difficult. Beauty is essentially meaningless, and it's always transitory. I can't believe what people do to themselves to make themselves look beautiful. They still have that hole in their soul. That's Ecclesiastes. This outer form, whether it's beauty or strength or memory or sight or hearing, will not last. You're wearing out, and so am I. So embrace God, your creator. Second, life is short. Verse 5. Yes, you're well on your way to eternal rest while your friends make plans for your funeral. Life, lovely while it lasts, is soon over. Life as we know it, precious and beautiful, ends. The body is put back into the same ground it came from. The spirit returns to God who first breathed it. All is meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Life is short. I have a friend, Ken Quick. He's, he's retired now as a pro- seminary professor. We've been friends for decades. When we first met each other, we were in the prime early, just starting out as the newbie minister guys, and, and we played sports together. And then as the years went by, we fished together. And we got to the point where Ken was unstable on his feet while we are around the river. It's like, I don't think I can fish with this guy anymore because if he goes in, he's dead. I can't help him. So we, we haven't gotten together in person since I moved to Texas. We only talk and text and email. And, and, uh, and, you know, now if we got together, probably our activity would be sit around and drink decaf coffee. I don't know. It's like there's not much you can do. You know what we have done, though, is we've said that, well, whoever dies first, the other guy preaches at his funeral. That, that's what you do when you get older. It's like you plan who's going to preach at your funeral or, or who's going to carry the casket. Life is short. We were at one point, we were, we were the young guys, and now we're the old guys. The teacher concludes here with the same words he used in chapter 1, verse 2, that everything's meaningless. That life on this planet, apart from God, is hebel. It is, it's mist, it's vapor, it's the nearest thing to zero, and it rushes by so quickly, and it's gone, ending up where it began, in the ground. And the brevity of life is true no matter how long you actually live. It just speeds by. And so seek after God while you're young. And that's why the godliness of your home is so crucial. That if you model and example Jesus and you teach Jesus to your children, it's so crucial. That's why why our youth ministry and our children's ministry is so vital. Because 94% of those who accept Christ do so before the age of 18. Those ministries are crucial. Youth is the time to turn to Jesus. It's not that it's too late after that. It's just it doesn't happen very much. And the appeal, the appeal of the world, the temptations of precious faith are greater than ever in our world. And just consider the example of Jesus who, although he existed from eternity past, he became one of us in the usual way, yet without sin. He, he grew up in a godly home. He saturated his mind with scripture. At age 12, he astonished the temple teachers. He grew in favor with God and man. His life ended at age 33, that by his ultimate sacrifice for sin, he provides salvation for all who believe, all who put their trust in him alone. Remember your creator now before it's too late, before it's too late third reason why you need to remember your creator now is that that's your purpose. Verse 13, here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is the duty of every person. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Fear God, for he alone is the source of satisfaction. Comedian, actor, Russell Brand knows that. He said, I've been on the other side of the looking glass. It's worthless. It doesn't feed your soul. I still feel empty 
inside. Wow. See, God made you for a reason. And only he can fulfill that reason. You're part of God's plan. He made you to glorify him, to fulfill his purpose for you every day and how you live. See, here's the, here's the deal. The way you overcome the meaninglessness of life is to fear and obey God. That's the final word. That's the conclusion of everything that the teacher has been teaching. This is how you overcome the meaninglessness of life. The frustration, the fracturing of life is only solved by returning to the one who made you in his own image. The one who entered into your broken world in the person of Jesus to bring you to himself and make you whole. And if you fear God, you will fear no one else. And if you don't fear God, you will fear everyone else. And what Solomon has been saying through this whole book has sounded like this. Beginning to end, it's all meaningless, pointless, emptiness, so nothing matters. And now at the end of the book, here's what he says. With God, everything matters. Everything. Every single decision, every single activity, every blessing, every hardship, everything matters. Just as Jesus said, every single hair on your head is known by God. Every sparrow who falls is seen by God. Even one cup of cold water given in Jesus' name matters with God. Because with God, everything matters. And that reality will get you through the frustration and the confusion and the injustice and the inequity and the darkness and the emptiness of life. Fear God and do what he says and you will walk on through all that seems meaningless into the arms of the one who said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Thanks be to God. I want you to stand with me now as we come to the end of this time and and I invite you to Pray along with me if you can or desire the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. I'm going to pray it from the King James Version, so if you know that, you can pray along easily, but whatever version you use, let's pray together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. We want to take a moment right now to respond to the Lord, to sing to him. And also, if you uh, would like to come and pray, you can come and pray right here at the altar. Elders will be available at the end of the service, but as we take this time, would you respond to the Lord with us as we sing? the cross at the cross
Uh, to become a member at Cypress Bible Church, it's a process where, first of all, you would, I'm going to ask you to come up to the top here so people can see you up at the top here. Um, it's a, uh, uh, at Cypress Bible Church, to become a member is a process where you attend a class, and there's an opportunity afterwards if you feel like God is, the class is really to show you what we expect of members and what members can expect of us. And then after you've completed that class, you fill out a, a form, and uh, then uh, you meet with an elder and a deacon, and they interact with you, and we talk to you about your life story, how you've placed faith in Christ, where you're at in your spiritual journey, uh, what you see as uh, your fit here at Cypress Bible Church, and ways you could become involved. And then we share a few things of expectations, and those basically are simple, that you would uh, regularly worship together with us, that you would uh, become part of some sort of a small group or smaller setting for encouragement and growth. 
uh, that you would use your gifts and talents to serve others while you're here, and that you would be part of helping to spread the good news of Jesus to others. And so all of these candidates have done that, and you should have been handed a flyer or a little a newsletter when you came in that'll give you information on all of those becoming members. Some of those are here at this service, some will be in the other service, and some are not in town today. So anyway, but I'm going to briefly go through and just introduce you to the members. I'm going to go ahead and put them on the screen, and then we'll draw attention to the people on the stage at that time. Um, I'm not going to be preaching the sermon. So anyway, so that's already happened. So if we could move on. Okay, not coming. All right, let me just go ahead. Then I'm just, um, uh, I'll just start. And those of you have the flyer, and if you don't have the flyer, you can pick it up out in the foyer. Um, but the first uh, couple is actually here with us. This is Stuart and Janet Angst. Um, Stuart, uh, his college years were pretty significant in his spiritual uh, kind of growth and commitment and really transformed his life and put him on the path of seeking uh, the Lord. Uh, Janet became a Christian as an adult, and uh, that was when uh, she placed her faith in Christ. And she currently serves in our seventh grade girls ministry as a life group leader. Um, The next person is Doug Barnes, and Doug is not with us during this service. He's at the other one. Doug um, uh, has followed Christ most of his life. But it was just a few years ago when he was praying that God would bring him a guide and someone who would help him along the way. He ended up here at Cypress Bible Church through the ministry of Jonathan Chang. And he currently also is a life group leader with eighth grade boys. And then we have Phil and Diana Barr. And uh, Phil and Diana are really relatively new to us. Uh, Phil has had a lot of personal hardships in life. And uh, uh, as a part, as a result of that, that pointed him to Christ as his savior. And to his wife, Diana, um, uh, she was brought to the Lord through the gra- her grandparents taking her to church. And at the age of six, she made that commitment. And uh, Diana has a heart to help others. And uh, she served as a chaplain and walked along a lot of people hurting through the years and uh, looks forward to being part of ministries here at Cypress Bible Church who look at ways to uh, serve and comfort others and lead others. Uh, and then we have Matt and Ashley Ebert. And uh, Matt and Ashley, uh, Matt became a Christian uh, when he was on a junior high mission trip. And so how appropriately, he works as an eighth grade boy's life leader. And then uh, Ashley became a believer in seventh grade. And uh, and how appropriate that she's actually a life group leader for seventh grade girls. So I think that's a very appropriate thing. And uh, Ashley is also one of our new uh, staff members here and helping us with uh, multimedia and uh, communicating the gospel and how we can connect to those outside of our church. Uh, Next uh, couple is Brad and Carol Fisher. And um, Brad uh, became a Christian really through the ministry of his wife and her family. And that transformed his life as he saw how they followed Christ, and that impacted him. Uh, He likes to help uh, repair things and has just recently joined our moving team ministry at Cyprus. Uh, Carol accepted Christ as her Savior at the age of 11, and um, uh, she has uh, been a follower of Jesus, raising a family, helped her in her commitment to Christ. Uh, She currently serves as a mentor mom and wants to be involved in Second Saturday and more elementary ministries in the future. Uh, Lisa Hansel uh, is uh, um, uh, thankful for God's intervention in her life, a heart of compassion and concern for others. She ultimately ended up as, in the career as a nurse, and, uh, um, and, uh, and then she was able to care for her mother who suffered from Alzheimer's, and she has a heart for those who are elderly and the marginalized in our community. And then we come to Marco, who is standing next to me here. Uh, he became a Christian through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, as a, a freshman in high school. 
And then uh, he kind of took a few paths along the way, and then it was in the military where God really did some additional work in his life. And uh, Marco's got a lot of interesting stories as God has intervened. And the one thing I would say about Marco, he has a compassion for others to know Jesus and how he can help people. And he also has an understanding that rough times sometimes come for all of us, and God can help us in the midst of that. And uh, he currently works as a tenth, with the 10th grade boys as a life group leader. And then we have Zi and Huang Ming Lo, and uh, they, um, both of them came here from out of the country, and uh, uh, um, Zi, uh, he uh, actually came to know Christ through, um, through uh, going to a university after being an atheist for a couple years. And knowing him now, you would never know that that was his history. And um, uh, Ming, Huang Ming, she came here and got involved at U of H, University of Houston, and that's where she attended the International Christian Fellowship, and that's when she really became to know what it meant to be a follower of Christ and commit to him. All right. Next one is Becky Solis. And uh, Becky Solis, I was watching her father uh, follow Christ and the impact it had on her life that ultimately caused her to become a Christian, and she serves in our Kids Life Ministry at Cyprus. And then we have Joe and Brooke Voda. Uh, Joe was raised in a Catholic home, but it was through a uh, change of church and that sort of thing that he became to know what it meant to be a follower of Christ. Uh, Brooke um, became a believer in 2016 uh, through a ser- series of circumstances in her own life, and then uh, she serves as the MOP coordinator currently here at Cypress Bible Church. And last but not least is uh, Cameron Whitaker, and uh, Cameron is also one of our uh, newest uh, staff members here, and she serves as Kids Life Administrative Assistant. But she trusted Christ in her uh, mid-twenties, and uh, she uh, is a person that loves others and is an encouragement to others. And so she's a bright light in our offices, and we appreciate her being here. But would you welcome all of our members, plus those who are on the paper who are not here? I encourage you to get to know them and introduce yourself and welcome them to the family. But let me pray for them, and let me pray for us as we leave today. Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you for the way that you have been at work in each of these new members' lives. Lord, we pray that as you have gifted them, as you have called them, as you have redeemed them, Lord, that you would use them in a way to continue to uh, point them towards you in the midst of while they're growing as well. And Lord, we pray today that as we have um, really uh, focused on the whole issue of life is meaningless without you, Lord, we pray that indeed you would give us the ability to worship you, to obey you, to follow you, to trust you. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have that we understand the gospel message and that we, are, we have the opportunity to become followers of you because that truth has been entrusted to us. Help us to be faithful followers of you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day. You stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before.